Lightforce Therapy Lasers help clinicians around the world to provide effective deep tissue laser therapy treatments. The Lightforce I-Series lasers provide in-use visual and sensory feedback, telling the clinician if they are dosing at the recommended speed, too fast, or too slow. The result? More accurate treatments for clinicians and better outcomes for patients. Treat with confidence. Learn more at lightforcemedical.com J-O-S-P-T. Clinical studies and device indications available upon request. Individual results may vary. Neither DJO LLC nor any of its subsidiaries dispense medical advice. Consult your healthcare professional for advice. Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Concussion can be a bit intimidating or daunting, right? Because it's the brain and it's complex. There's a lot to consider from headaches to heart rates, vision to vestibular function. So it's fantastic to have Dr. Catherine Schneider from the University of Calgary here today. And she's going to help make managing concussion less intimidating. She's going to help us feel confident and not confused about return to sport after concussion. Dr. Schneider is at the front line of clinical practice in concussion rehabilitation. She works as a specialist sports and musculoskeletal physiotherapist, and she's also a member of the esteemed Concussion in Sport group that's led by Professor Paul McCrory. Catherine, today we're talking about return to sport after concussion. Can we first start with an overview of the evidence-based return to sport strategy, and then we'll get to some of the specifics. And I'm going to sort of frame this as a focus on a case of an ice hockey athlete and we're going to use the case to help us illustrate how to apply the return to sport strategy and the different elements of the return to sport strategy to the clinical scenario of helping an athlete with concussion return to their sport. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Claire. Today, I'm going to take the liberty of moving us beyond the initial early acute recovery phase, that period of relative rest and progress to the stage where we clinicians are working with athletes to gradually increase their activity as they move through the return to sport strategy that you and your colleagues, Sport Concussion Group, have developed and refined over years of research and consensus meetings and discussion. And if folks want to dive into more information, they can find the Berlin Concussion in Sport consensus paper as a free download from the BJSM website. And we'll also pop a link to the consensus paper in the show notes. So make sure you have a look there. So after that initial period of 24 to 48 hours of rest, you want to gradually increase your typical activities that you do throughout your day. So gradually increasing the things you do around the house, going out for walks, and really avoiding any risky activities. Following that, return to activities that involve physical exertion and cognitive exertion can be part of what you can do. And we have, this is summarized in the return to sport and return to school strategies. So the initial step of the return to sport strategy is your symptom limited activity, um, where you're gradually reintroducing work and school type activities, light walks, gradually getting back into the activities that you would normally do throughout your day. 
The next step of the return to sports strategy is adding in light aerobic exercise where you increase your heart rate and you're doing walking, stationary cycling, gradually increasing both your heart rate as well as increasing the duration of time. And at this time, you need to avoid any activities that have a risk of contact or collision or fall. The third step is a sports-specific exercise where you start doing some more sports-specific activities, um, again, without risk of contact or collision. But the goal of this step is to add in more movement and more activity that's related to the sport that you would be returning to. And this is really going to depend on the type of sporting activity that you're involved in. From an ice hockey standpoint, that certainly involves returning to the ice if we were doing a hockey-specific training program. So typically, you would start using a stationary cycle or walking on a treadmill or outdoors because you want to avoid those activities that would potentially involve risk of fall. So an important question to think about is when does that risk of contact collision or fall occur? Because in different sports, it's going to happen at different stages of returning to sport, returning to sport-specific training from an ice hockey standpoint, there could be increased risk. If you're involved in a sport that has multiplayer training drills, there's always a chance of contact or collision. So it's generally recommended that medical clearance to return to sport would occur prior to returning to any risky activities, even if they're sport-specific training drills. Right. Then what's next? Yeah, so each of these steps, it's recommended that you take 24 hours for each step. So you couldn't do all the steps in one day. You want to look to see if any symptoms recur. If you remain asymptomatic from a concussion-related symptom standpoint, you then could move on to the next step of the return to sports strategy the following day. But if any of those concussion-related symptoms return or are exacerbated, then you should move back to the previously asymptomatic step. This is a six-step strategy, so it should take a minimum of seven days for an athlete to progress through this return to sports strategy. In many cases, the symptoms will resolve prior to some of the physiological challenges that occur secondary to concussion. And the return to sports strategy and taking time to gradually increase levels of activity also aligns with some of the timelines that have been seen in the literature around recovery. So in the third step of the return to sports strategy, uh, we recommend sport-specific exercise. So in some cases, that's running, doing running and cutting drills. From an ice hockey standpoint, um, returning to the ice, there's certainly a risk um, with returning to the ice where there could be a greater risk of fall. So most cases, athletes will return to an off-ice environment um, and perhaps do some running and cutting drills to get some general movement, start doing some stick handling, passing, shooting drills to gradually reintroduce some of those sport-specific exercises. And then you need to consider the risk involved in terms of returning to an ice surface or to other activities that may involve uh, risk of fall or collision. So sport-specific exercise is an important piece because you're reintroducing some of that sensory motor stimulus with movement in space that's important for return to sport, but that um, you also want to recognize the return to risk. 
what we do recommend is that medical clearance occurs prior to returning to activities at risk of a contact collision or fall. And this is going to depend on the sport that you're returning to. The return to sport strategy enables a bit of a buffer zone while athletes are gradually increasing activity and gradually returning to those sport-specific activities prior to that medical clearance to return back to sport. Also remember that you should stay free of concussion-related symptoms. All right, so we talked about getting back on the ice for an ice hockey player, that gradual return, symptom-free, 24-hour minimum at each level. What happens if someone's just not getting better? And if every time this athlete that you're working with, every time she raises her heart rate, the symptoms come back, what do you do then, Catherine? That's a great question, Claire. Um, For the majority of individuals, they'll be able to move through that return to sports strategy and a return to school strategy and then be able to um, return to their sport. But in some cases, individuals may have difficulty as they move through that return to sports strategy or They might have ongoing symptoms even when they increase their activities of daily living. So it's important at that point in time to really take a multifaceted look at the nature of the symptoms that the individual is reporting and to think of other systems and perhaps which types of healthcare professionals may be helpful to help differentiate different types of rehabilitation that may be helpful to facilitate recovery. So for instance, in Some of the research that we've done, we found that treating the cervical spine and the vestibular system in combination can help facilitate recovery. In some cases, individuals may have difficulty with exertion, and there's some literature to show that aerobic exercise can be beneficial to facilitate recovery as well. From a vestibular standpoint, um, one of the most common exercises that's been used following concussion is something called an adaptation exercise, where you're retraining the vestibulo-ocular reflex or working on the brain's ability to keep an eye focused while your head is in motion. So this reflex is typically trained in a horizontal plane or in a rotation of your cervical spine. So looking at a target and turning your head side to side. So if you're training in this plane of motion and you're gradually increasing speed and increasing duration and improving, that's great. You'll probably be able to function well in that plane of motion. But if you need to be doing a sport-specific activity that involves moving in a different plane of motion, such as a vertical plane of motion and relying on that reflex, such as a, a sport like football, baseball, volleyball, racket sports where you're serving a ball overhead, all the different directions of motion where you might need to be able to function and rely on that reflex. It's important to assess and then also train in those different directions because you're going to adapt and improve in the direction that you're training in, but you're going to access different areas of the system depending on the plane of motion that you're moving in. And then the other piece would be to consider the visual background the amount of distraction, et cetera. So to work on those progressions that facilitate return to the same type of environment that an athlete would be returning to. For someone that gets symptoms when they do a specific movement in space, often individuals will have dizziness with different types of head motions. 
So oftentimes we'll use an exercise called habituation to desensitize the person to that motion. And it's the movement that you select would be specific to the movement that the individual is having difficulty with. So that would look different for a gymnast or a figure skater than it would for someone that does martial arts because the movement plane in which their head is moving is different. Um, the type of exercises that you'd select would really be specific to the assessment findings with each individual. And so oftentimes initially looking at what is their head or neck control like, what is their ability to use their vestibulo-ocular reflex from a behavioral standpoint. So can they see clearly when they turn their head looking at dynamic visual acuity, and then looking at sport-specific movements. And do they get a reproduction of symptoms with specific movements? And that's where some habituation exercises can be a benefit. Kind of thinking of, okay, what does their motor control look like of their head on control? And are their headaches under control? And this can all feel a bit daunting because, well, it's the brain and concussion serious and we want to do a good job. But there can also be so many different things going on. So that might be a headache, whether it's vestibular function, whether it's neck pain. So how do I know which bit to make the priority and how do I figure out what's going on and then how to progress it and how to choose the best exercise to target what I think is going to give the most benefit? What advice would you share, Catherine? Concussion certainly is a heterogeneous injury and different people are going to present with different symptoms and with different findings on a clinical exam. So it's important to consider your neurological scan and what you see. Look at the cervical spine. There could be vestibular involvement. There could be visual involvement. There could be difficulty with exertion and potential autonomic nervous system involvement. There could be central vestibular involvement or other brain involvement. There could be cognitive challenges. There could be difficulty with sleep. So you really want to think of concussion from a holistic standpoint and recognize where your own strengths are as a clinician and which areas are you really competent in and where do you need to collaborate with other healthcare professionals and refer back to the physician and potentially another healthcare professional that has more expertise in this area. And in many cases, actually working together in an interdisciplinary setting can be the most effective way to work with any individuals that have ongoing symptoms following concussion. In some cases, it's that there is some involvement of the cervical spine, cervicogenic headaches we see in approximately 20% of individuals following concussion, and in which case doing some targeted treatment for the cervical spine, including manual therapy and specific exercises, can be a benefit. There can be vestibular involvement, and there can be balance difficulties, in which case vestibular rehabilitation may be a benefit. And in other cases, there could be visual involvement, and there's some emerging evidence to show that the visual system can be affected following concussion and so should be considered as an important system as well. And if we think of where we get all of our sensory input from and from a proprioceptive, vestibular, visual standpoint and thinking of sport and the complexity of sport and how we have to coordinate all of these different systems in a very complex way with higher level decision-making, 
it's not surprising that when we start to reintroduce these complex activities, people could have difficulty. So it's important to break it down and look at which of the systems may be affected and have impairments and where can we target some treatment and who else might need to be involved in that treatment team. From a headache standpoint, we do know that headache is consistently the most commonly reported symptom following concussion. So it's really important to address the headaches as sometimes when we start to get people moving around, if they don't have good head on neck control, that can exacerbate a cervicogenic headache. In other cases, the headaches might maybe migrainous in nature or may require other medical management. So recognizing that and having appropriate treatment for the headache prior to progressing. From a cervical spine standpoint, addressing any neuromotor control challenges and working on retraining some of the craniocervical flexors and extensors retraining the deep cranio-cervical flexors and extensors, um, and progressing these exercises and thinking of them in a sport-specific context, as well as how do we best progress load to some of the more global muscles as we're progressing through these areas. And it's, it's going to depend, again, on the functional areas that the individual needs to return to. From a vestibular standpoint, there's a number of different exercises and areas of treatment that might be of benefit. In the literature, we see approximately 5% of individuals with ongoing dizziness following concussion have benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. And there's good evidence to show that BPPV can be treated often in one treatment, but within three treatments. And then for individuals that have other types of vestibular involvement, Vestibular rehabilitation may be of benefit, and a different combination of exercises will depend on the impairments that each individual presents with, as well as the activities that they're returning to. So the components from a vestibular standpoint could include adaptation, which is where you're retraining the ability to maintain a stable gaze while you're turning your head, so eyes focused on a target, head in motion. And typically that's done in the horizontal plane initially because we spend most of our days in the horizontal plane. But then it's important to recognize that different sports are going to require different planes of motion and different functional activities throughout the day may also require training in different planes of motion. Habituation exercises can be used to facilitate desensitization to certain movements. So if certain movements provoke dizziness, then we'll work on desensitizing the individual to that motion by repeated exposure to the movement. Standing balance exercises, dynamic balance are also important to consider. And then with different exercises, also thinking how those can be progressed to be more sport specific and gradually progressing the exercise, not just to the point where they can complete a basic level, but actually thinking about how do we then combine some of these different areas to facilitate that return to sport. And that's sometimes an area where there's a bit of a gap because once individuals become symptom-free, then they focus more on getting back to the sport as opposed to rehabbing to get back to sport. So what I'm hearing, Catherine, is that there's a ton of different systems that could be involved here. So it's, it's about really thinking through carefully and systematically figuring out, is my strength in cervical spine? Is it dealing with vestibular systems? Is it the ocular side? Is it balance? Do I feel comfortable assessing all of these areas? And if not, 
figuring out who in the interdisciplinary team can I work with and involve to make sure that this athlete is getting the best care that she needs. Absolutely. And I think the the more we all work together too, from an interdisciplinary standpoint, ultimately the the more we learn and the more we can optimize clinical care, ultimately facilitate recovery in athletes that suffer a concussion. And I reckon that's something we can all get behind, Catherine, and something that we're united, we're pulling in the same direction on. So let's help athletes stay fit and healthy and performing at their absolute best. Thanks for joining me today on JOSPT Insights. Thanks so much, Claire. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.